Good evening, everybody. Glad you could join us today. We're on uh, our sixth, I believe, lesson inside of the Messianic Prophecy series uh, we've been doing. Last time, we were looking at Deuteronomy 18, the, uh, the prophet like Moses uh, that, that God was going to raise up. And we spent quite a bit of time um, in that passage, looking at all the different ways that Moses and uh, Jesus were going to be the same, um, the authority that, that the prophet that was going to be raised up uh, was going to have, and, and how that concept of the prophet really laid out with uh, the folks there in the first century. They, they were kind of looking for this prophet to, to show up in, in addition to the Christ. Um, so there was a little bit of confusion on their end as far as what this was going to look like in the end. And we looked at how uh, we, we kind of straightened that out there as well. So tonight what we're going to do is we're heading over into 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And we're going to be in chapter 2 to start. Um, one of the prophecies that I'm not going to go over tonight uh, in any great detail is just kind of a, kind of a mention. Um, if you remember Hannah back in the beginning of 1 Samuel, the, the mother of, of Samuel, uh, she was barren and she uh, ended up having a child, Samuel, and dedicated him to the Lord and, and brought him over to the uh, tabernacle. And Eli was the priest and gave Samuel over to him to kind of watch him. And then what happens in chapter two is she, she has this great song of thanksgiving. And as a result of that, at the at verse 10, what she says is, uh, those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Now it's that last phrase, exalt the horn of his anointed. Whenever you hear that concept of horn um, in the Old Testament, think power. You know, because with an animal uh, you know, that has those horns, that's where their, their power lies. Think of a ram that, you know, that just runs and, and you know, does some head butting along the way without those horns, you know, it's not going to be able to do a whole lot. Um, and remember what the word Messiah actually translated into means. It means anointed one. So literally you can translate this, you know, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his Messiah. So you, you kind of get this indication here uh, that Hannah could be talking about the, the Messiah who's coming you know, looking to him as king, because remember, Israel didn't have a king at this time, right? Samuel's the one that had ended up anointing Saul, ended up anointing David, um, but Samuel had just been born, so he hadn't done any of that stuff yet. So what we see here is this concept of, of God giving strength to his king, which I believe in this context is the Messiah that he's referencing and exalting the power, the horn of this Messiah. Uh, so really just, just kind of a, a great concept that God lays out here for us um, in, in this passage. So that, that's all we're really going to mention there uh, about that. And we're actually going to kind of dig into something uh, that I find really, really interesting. You know, Eli was, was a, a pretty good guy. Uh, Samuel turned out pretty well. But it, we kind of get the impression that Eli... It doesn't necessarily, I mean, it's kind of, kind of seems to indicate that he might not have been the best dad in the world. Um, we know for a fact that his sons were horrible. 
ab absolutely horrible. Uh, if we look in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 2, he says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests of the, with the people. So let's back up a second here. Eli was high priest, means that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were in line to be high priests. And notice what it says. They were worthless, number one. Number two, they did not know the Lord. So you have priests that did not know the Lord. Now, they knew about the Lord, obviously. I mean, they had to, they had to function as priests and do the sacrifices and go through the rituals. But they didn't know God, right? I mean, there's, there's a difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. What, what God's really interested in here is he's interested in us knowing him. Yes, to know him, we have to know about him. But there's a big difference between academic knowledge and a personal relationship. Um, you know, you can talk about people and, and who they are and what they do, but it's a far cry from having relationship with them. Eli's sons had no relationship with God. And so really what, they, what we see here is that there, there was a custom that they had where they would take meat, they would boil it, stick a fork in, um, and then they would, uh, that'd be their portion. And so what they would do, though, is they would, well, let's read it. How about that? Um, let's look at verse number 14, uh, 13. Uh, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servant would come, along, uh, come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, You must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, they would say to him, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. So they didn't like the boiled meat. Um, so they decided they were going to go and grab the raw meat and take it by force if necessary. The other thing was that the fat on the meat belonged to the Lord. They were supposed to be burned. They're like, nope, give us that too. You know, they wanted the big, juicy, meaty ribeyes as opposed to, you know, something a little bit more lean. They, they wanted that fat that was along there. Um, they despised the sacrifice. That's, that's the, the, the divine assessment here. They despise the offering of the Lord. This is not what the priests are supposed to do. Um, so again, concept is they didn't know the Lord. This is just one example. There, there were lots of examples um, of how that worked. So what we have here, we're going to go down over to verse uh, number 22 and pick this story up. It said, Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing in Israel and how they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So the, these guys were, were horrible. Um, they, were, they were sexually immoral, um, and they were doing that in the tent of meeting, the doorway of the tent of meeting. Now remember, and we're going to get to, to Phinehas here in a second, the, the other Phinehas uh, that's mentioned you know, back in, in Numbers. Remember, remember who, who he was. 
Phinehas, uh, remember the, we, we talked about uh, uh, Balaam a few weeks ago. Well, Balaam seems like what he did was he had the uh, uh, Moabites bring their ladies in and the, the, the Israelites were sinning with those ladies. And so uh, one guy, brazen, bold, took this woman into her tent right in front of Moses, in front of Phinehas, in front of the people. And so Phinehas goes in with his spear and <sighs> pins him to the ground, right? And so we're going to see here in a little bit, Phinehas actually was rewarded for his zeal for God. Um, I know in today's day and age, that just seems barbaric. Uh, that, that Phinehas, number one, that that would be a good thing to do and that Phinehas was rewarded by God for it. But again, we, we, we got to remember something. I, I just, I find it exceedingly arrogant um, for a culture who looks at something a very specific way to go back and judge another culture uh, in, in th- th- through a different lens like that, <clears throat> especially a culture that kills as many unborn babies as we do. Um, you know, for them to say that that's acceptable, and what Phinehas did was barbaric. Um, just, just kind of blows my mind. Anyway, it's a different, different topic for a different time. Uh, so we, we got what these guys are doing here. You know, they're they're not acting like their their relative Phinehas at all. Uh, even though one of them is named Phinehas, right? <clears throat> so verse twenty three, you know, he meaning Eli said to them, "Why do you do such things?" The evil things that I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear, the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who could intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. See, so you get this indication here that, that these guys just aren't listening. God's going to take them out anyway. Um, they're not in the, in the business of repenting. It's kind of, I would probably liken this as to, uh, you know, the hardening of the heart that Pharaoh had and, uh, um, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then God did it, you know, just kind of building upon his own free will here, kind of liken this the, 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 the same way. If you think about it, how far, how far gone would these guys have to be to do stuff that they're doing in the doorway of the tabernacle with the ark of God? right back there, knowing the stories that they know coming out of the Exodus. Pretty hard-hearted. So um, then we have verse 27. So we have a prophet that's going to come visit Eli. Uh, Verse 27, he says, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt into bondage in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourself fat with the choices of every, uh, every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling, and in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, an old man will not be in your house forever." Yet I will not cut off every man of yours 
from my altar so that your eyes will not fail from weeping and your soul grieve and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on the day, on the same day, both of them will die. Interesting, right? So this prophet comes and is telling and really rebuking Eli. I mean, he just didn't do a good job as a dad, and, and he's just not taking charge the way that he should, letting his sons be, be priests. And he says, look, <clears throat> if you look at verse uh, uh, number 30, he says, therefore, the Lord your God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. So he goes on to, to describe there in the beginning, I chose you out of all the families to serve my altar. You Levites, you sons of Aaron. Okay, You are the ones that are, that are designed to be the priests. And Eli having the ultimate honor of being high priest. But he says, you're not honoring me. And, and notice what he said there. He said, I, I indeed um, chose the house, uh, your house and house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. In other words, no, you're not going to walk before me forever. Who's the father he's talking about? He's talking about Aaron. He's talking about Aaron because that promise was made to Aaron that the priesthood was going to walk before him forever. Right here, God says, no, that's not going to happen anymore. Okay. Now, so this is going to be an important thing because what we're going to do here is, is kind of cut the legs out from the arguments against where we're going here. All right. Because um, <clears throat> when we when we get to the actual prophecy, something really cool is, is happening there. And we're going to have to go back, excuse me, and trace some lineages. So he, the, the, the consequence is found in verse 31, where he says, Behold, the days are coming while I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. So they're not going to live to old ages anymore, right? That's, that's part of the consequence here. Um, he says, I'm not going to cut off every man of yours from the altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve and all the increase of your house die, die in the prime of life. But he says, here's a sign. Hophni and Phinehas are going to die on the same day. So basically, not everyone's going to be cut off, but you're not going to have these, these old, ripe old age folks serving at, at my table anymore. All right. And the proof that this is going to happen, Hophni and Phinehas are going to die on the same day. So we'll, we'll get to that too. Here's where the prophecy comes in, the messianic side of it. But I, verse 35, but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. And I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed always. Everyone who is left of your house <clears throat> will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread saying, please assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. So the prophecy here is of a faithful priest, a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. Okay. So <clears throat> Really interesting there that, that this priest is going to do all that what God wants him to do. All that God has in his heart, all that God has in his soul, 
That's what he's going to do. <clears throat> so who is this faithful priest? Well, we already know that the Messiah is going to be a king, right? We already know that. We've, we've laid that out before. We already also know that the, the, the Messiah is going to be a prophet, okay? Deuteronomy, what we just read. Uh, Numbers 24 is the one that we, we talked about where he's going to be a king, um, a star and a scepter, and then Genesis 49 uh, of the, the tribe of Judah. Uh, next week, we're going to be getting into uh, for, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and the line of David. That's, that's an important one, too. <clears throat> so what we're seeing here, though, is now we're seeing this concept of priesthood. Okay. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. Now, <clears throat> we've got to do some, some, some tracking here. <clears throat> Doesn't it seem kind of harsh that God would cut off the family of Eli because of two bad seeds, two bad kids? you know, from being the, 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 the priests that are going to serve at the altar, especially the high priest, you know, that that's going to be cut off. Well, yes and no. So this actually kind of gives God the catalyst for doing something that is really had already been decided, so to speak, so to speak. I'll tell you what, we need to do some backtracking. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. This is going to be some basic stuff right here, but uh, need, to have, need to have some scriptural basis here. Exodus 29.9. He's telling Moses about the consecration of the priests here. He says, You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them, and they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So priesthood goes to Aaron and his sons, right? Okay, very good. So um, Aaron had two sons that lived. Uh, Nadab and Abihu uh, died. Um, so we're going to go to Numbers chapter 20. The two sons that lived were Eleazar and Ithamar. So Numbers chapter 20. And let's take a look at verse number 23. Numbers 20, 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron will be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the sons of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Then or take Aaron and his son Eleazar and bring them up to Mount Hor, and, so Aaron, uh, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eleazar. So Aaron will be gathered to his people and will die there. So Moses did just as the Lord had committed him and went up to Mount Hor in the, in the sight of all the congregation. After Moses had stripped Aaron of his garments, he put him on Eleazar. Aaron died there on the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. So who is it that received the father's charge, Aaron's charge? Well, it was Eleazar, right? Not Ithamar, not the other one. All right, so let's go over to Numbers chapter 25. So this is the, the instance uh, that we see of Phinehas. 
All right. Now, Phinehas, as you'll see here, whose son he is. Verse 10, Numbers 25, 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. Okay, um, So, that's... That was from Phinehas pinning those those two two folks to the ground. Um, so Phinehas, son of Eleazar, is the one that has the perpetual priesthood. So that's letting you know where the line is going. So that's what we know so far. Aaron, Eleazar, Phinehas. And they come to Eli. So... What's Eli's background? Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> Here's where we, we're going we're gonna to take this uh, and, and go a little bit different direction here. So we've got, we've got Eli and we've got his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, right? Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 14. First Samuel 14, verse 1. says, Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. Okay. Check out all those names. Sometimes the names are like, oh my goodness, more names. Sometimes the names are really good. So Eli, Phinehas, okay. Phinehas um, uh, had two kids, uh, Ichabod and Ahitab. Okay, and he had a son named Ahijah. Now Ahijah uh, is the same as, as we're going to see as Ahimelech here in just a moment. So remember, where, where we're kind of going here. This is all going to make sense. Don't worry. Let's flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Verse. Oh, let's see. I think I got the wrong verse here. Hold on a second, guys. Yep, got the wrong one there. Hold on a second. Um, so what we're going to take a look at, let's move over to um, 1 Samuel 23. Sorry about that. First Samuel 23. <clears throat> now, we've got... Uh, verse 6, it says, Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Calah, that he came down with the ephod in his hand. So we've got Abiathar, who's the son of Ahimelech, and Ahimelech is actually the son of Ahitub. Ahitub is Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli. What's this got to do with anything, right? Now, 
Here's where it gets good. Here's where everything comes together. 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. So if you remember who Abiathar is, he was kind of co-high priest with a guy named Zadok during the time of David. When David, right before David died, um, Adonijah was made king and Abiathar allied himself to uh, Adonijah when God had actually said Solomon was going to be king. And Solomon did become king, right? So <clears throat> what happens to Abiathar for siding with the person that David said wasn't going to be king. So we see verse 26 here, 1 Kings 2, 26. Then to Abiathar the priest, the king said, go to Anatoth to your own field, for you deserve to die. But I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord, uh, Lord God before my father David and because you were afflicted in everything uh, which my father was afflicted. So Solomon dismissed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, which he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. What we have is Abiathar being removed from the high priesthood was actually the fulfillment of this prophecy to Eli. So we have the lineage going back, right? Um, and then we see in verse 35 of the same chapter, the king appointed Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in his place, and the king appointed Zadok, the priest, in place of Abiathar. So, what's going on here? What we actually have here is that Eli was of the line of Ithamar. Okay, remember, Eleazar and Ithamar were the two sons of Aaron. Eleazar was the one that was promised the priesthood, not Ithamar. Eli was, the, was of the line of Ithamar. Now, let's look at this Zadok character. 1 Chronicles chapter 6. 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And let's look at verse 1. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izar, uh, Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amram uh, were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Eleazar became uh, the father of Phinehas. Phinehas became the father of Abishua. Uh, Abishua became the father of Bukai. Bukai became the father of Uzai. And Uzai became the father of Zerahiah. And Zerahiah became the father of Marioth. Marioth became the father of Amariah. Amariah became the father of Ahitab. And Ahitab became the father of Zadok. So you see that? Direct lineage back to Eleazar. So my point, my point is this. What we actually have here is um, Abiathar, who was replaced by Zadok, being of the sons of Eli, but Eli was of the line of Ithamar, not Eleazar. So what's the point of all this? The point was, is that if we, you know, we go back to, to 1 Samuel chapter 2, 
the decision to replace Eli's family as priests was not just because Eli was bad. It wasn't just because his sons were bad. It was because the line was supposed to go through Eleazar, not Ithamar. And Eli was from the line of Ithamar. Okay. And then once you have Zadok being the priest, it was always from the line of Zadok from that point forward, which is the line of, of, of Eleazar and the line of Phinehas. So the point is, is that this removal was in connection with the, the line of succession and the promises that God made all the way back when they came out of Egypt, when they were wandering in the wilderness. See, so that's where, that's where this actually comes in, uh, comes in pretty handy to know these, these lineages um, of, of where all of these things kind of go. Now, that being said, we're going to kind of turn our attention here to this faithful priest, to this faithful priest. Let's check this guy out a little bit again. Notice what he says there again in verse 5. So we're back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. Everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver, or a loaf of bread, and say, please assign me to one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. So this faithful priest, he's going to do according to everything that, that God has said, unlike the, the line of, of Eli did. But also, if we go back to verse, verse 30, what we see here is, therefore the Lord God declares indeed, uh, or I did indeed say, that your house and the house of your father shall walk before me forever, but now, declares the Lord, far be it from me. So, not only is he replacing that, that, the line of Eli, he's also replacing the whole priesthood of Aaron too. So that's why Zadok isn't the full fulfillment of what this is looking at because he's referencing the promise made to Aaron because no promise, and this is the whole point, no promise was ever made to the line of Eli that that was going to take place either. It was made through Phinehas, uh, Eleazar's son. So there was no promise made to Eli that his family was actually going to be there. The promise to the father was to Aaron, the father of all the priests. That family was not going to walk perpetually as a priesthood anymore. Now this, when we get to the New Testament, we see this very clearly because Hebrews chapter 7 lets us know that, that Jesus comes from a line that is, there's nothing said about priest. He's not descended from the tribe of Levi. He's descended from Judah. See, and in order for him to become, become a priest, there has to be a change of law also. So the covenant actually had to be completely changed. When we get to Zechariah chapter 6, we see that, that there's going to be a union between the priesthood and the kingship. Because he goes and puts on the head of Joshua, the high priest, a royal crown. A royal crown. Okay, that is exceedingly important because that's not allowed under the old covenant law. So what God's referencing here when he says a faithful priest that's going to do all that's according to his heart and his soul, he's talking about a priest that is not of the line of Aaron. And as we get later on in the study, what, what you're going to see very clearly is that the Old Testament actually prophesies the destruction of the Levitical priesthood. Here's the first part where it does it. And again, it's not super specific yet. You got to piece some things together. As we go on a little bit further and God reveals more, it gets super specific about that. Now, here's where people kind of say, 
No, he's not talking about that. If you look um, in, in verse 35 toward the end, he says, I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed always. So it sounds like what he says, he will walk before my anointed always, kind of sounds like the priest and the anointed, the Messiah, are separate, right? He will walk before my, my Messiah always. Well, here's the interesting thing about Hebrew. Most language, a lot of languages, have masculine, feminine, and neuter, tense, okay? Um, he, she, it. Hebrew does not have a neuter tense. Everything is always he or she. So you have to, so if, if you're talking about a table or a chair or a door or a house, it's, you have to call it a he or she. You can't call it a it because there's no such word for it. It's kind of interesting. So <clears throat> what's interesting here is that they've decided to translate it he, right? And he will walk before my Messiah always. But the antecedent to the pronoun in the Hebrew is house. I will build him an enduring house. So the pronoun's actually referring back to house. So if we're translating this according to the, to the way that the grammar's laid out, he says, but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build for him an enduring house, and it, the house, will walk before my Messiah always. So the Messiah is the faithful priest, and the house is the enduring house, and that's what's going to walk before the Messiah forever. So it's the house that's going to walk before the Messiah forever. I think this is really interesting. Really kind of a cool prophecy, because here we have the seeds of this great priesthood that's going to be coming. And, and notice right, right now, the priesthood and the kingship are completely still separated. There's, there's no um, bringing those two things together at this particular point. We will have that later on, all right? Um, but not at this particular point. They're going to stay kind of separated for a while and then kind of come together. Uh, but here we've got this faithful priest who's going to do according to all that is in my heart and soul, and I will uh, build him an enduring house, and that house is going to walk before my anointed always, my Messiah always. And at the end of the prophecy, he says, everyone who's left in your house will come down and uh, will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver, or a loaf of bread and say, please assign me to one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. <clears throat> Why would a priest need to be assigned to a priest's office? He's a priest. See, the reason he's going to need to be assigned to a priest's office is because he's not a priest in the new system. All right, let's, let's check this out. <clears throat> let's go to uh, Acts chapter 6. It's one of my favorite verses here. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we're going to just look at one verse, verse 7. It says, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. There's your fulfillment. A great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. See, this is, this is the fulfillment of 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
of the priest coming and saying, install me in a priestly office. Those priests had no right to the altar by which we serve. So they had to become Christians, and by, by nature of becoming a Christian, they're becoming a priest because all Christians are priests, right? Offering up living sacrifices. See, so, and then the, this faithful house that he's building, you know, we flip over to, to 1 Peter chapter 2, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are a kingdom of priests. Now, that's actually an Old Testament quote uh, that he's using there. But again, they never really fulfilled that concept of a kingdom of priests. Yeah, they had a lot of them, um, but that's not uh, really you know, what he's, he's talking about there. And then you go to Revelation chapter one and we go to verse four. He says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the Kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our, from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom priests to his God and father to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, that house that belongs to that faithful priest are also going to be priests. And we're going to walk before him forever. And the New Testament documents this fulfillment. We are a house of priests. See, so this is, I think, one of the, the, the great prophecies of the Old Testament laying out uh, the foundation for what God is getting at, for what God is wanting to do. He's going to have this king, he's going to have this prophet, and he's going to have this priest. Now, it, right now, they all look separate, and Messiah too. They, they all look separate. But what God's doing is that he is going to be bridging all of these together as we go through this. And showing us that all of these different people and all these different things that, that uh, roles that this, uh, these different people are going to have are actually all fulfilled in one person. And the New Testament clearly bears that out. Now, this is one of those aspects of why the Bible is the Word of God, because we see in the Old Testament all of these seeds. And as God starts to knit this stuff together and shows us that this is in one person, and then we see the fulfillment of that one person and how you don't have to do violence to the scripture in order to, to, to show that out, we see something pretty amazing here. So hope you found this uh, encouraging tonight. I uh, hope you found it uh, something that, uh, that uh, you can utilize. And, and again, we're going to be using this as a jumping off point uh, moving forward. So hope you tune in uh, next week for us to be able to go into the line of David and how the Messiah is going to come from there.